As we prepare to hear God's word read, let's take a moment to pray. Holy God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray that as we hear your good word today, it would be a guide to us and that your Holy Spirit would be present here, opening our hearts and minds and ears to receive the good word that you have for us today. Come, Holy Spirit. We are listening. Amen. First Corinthians 12. 12 through 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greek, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greatest honor and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there, be, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of the Lord. Our second scripture passage comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. For it is as if a man 
going on a journey, summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy slave! You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own interest. So take the talent, so take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him in the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and the glory of Christ our single concern. Amen. Jesus' parable begins with an image of generosity and trust. And if you're not careful, you may read right past it and not give it a second thought. Jesus describes a man who's going away on a journey, 
And this man entrusts um, his possessions not to a bank, not to his friends and family, but to his servants. To one servant, he gives five talents. To another servant, he gives two talents. And to the last servant, he gives one talent. So what is a talent? It was just three Sundays ago that I was talking about talents with you. So just to jog your memory a little bit, in case you didn't remember, this is what a talent is. A talent is a measure of weight, about 130 pounds, which was used to weigh precious metals like gold and silver. One talent was worth 15 years' wages. If we were tried to put one talent of gold into today's value, it would be worth approximately $234,000. That's just one talent alone. And the man in the parable entrusts to his servants not only one talent, but five talents to the first servant, two to the next, and one to the last servant. Now, if I'm doing my math correctly, which truthfully, math is not my strong point, the total would be around $1,872,000. That's generous and trusting of this man towards his servants. As we continue to read the parable, we learn that with great generosity and trust comes great responsibility. It seems obvious to me that the man in the parable who entrusts his riches to his servants is a metaphor for God. And the servants are a metaphor for us human beings. In other words, Jesus starts the parable by reminding us how much God entrusts to us. So what are the resources that God entrusts to us? The talent in the parable could be a metaphor for financial resources that we have. However, to say the talent is a metaphor only for our financial resources might be a bit of a narrow interpretation. Because God has given us so much more. I think of all of the resources that God has given us, our finances, our relationships, the earth, and all of the resources of the natural world, our bodies, our personality, our gifts and talents as people, all of these things, though we might be tempted to think that we have earned or cultivated them ourselves, all of these things are gifts from God. They are resources from God, and we are the stewards. As Christians, we are called to follow Jesus and to offer every part of our lives to the glory of God and the seeking of God's kingdom. Romans chapter 12 puts it this way. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The question remains, both in the parable and to us today, What do we do with the abundance that God has radically entrusted to us? In the parable, as you've heard a couple times this morning, Jesus tells of three servants who respond to the abundance in different ways. The first two servants use or invest their talents to grow the gift that their master has given them. But the third servant 
buries his talent in the ground for safekeeping. When the master comes back after a long time, the first two servants are praised. But the third servant, Jesus describes him as saying this, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not gather seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. When I first read this passage, the scripture was a mirror to me in a way meaning I saw myself in the story. I don't know if that ever happens to you when you read stories of scriptures. Maybe it's just an odd pastor thing that we do. I saw myself in the third servant. Why, you may ask? Because the servant gave a very specific reason for their actions. Fear. Listen again. I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. The servant was afraid. Have you ever had an experience where fear has immobilized you? Where fear kept you from living into using what you have given given by God for God's purposes? For me personally, there's been many, many times in my life where I felt like God was calling me to something and fear has stopped me in my tracks. This has happened both on a grand scale and a small scale. On this grand scale, it took me a while before I said yes to going to seminary. I was afraid that as a woman, no one would take me seriously as a pastor. I eventually got there, and I'm very grateful to be with you among you today, serving as your pastor. But fear kept me immobile for a little while. On a small scale, there are daily moments in my life where I run into someone at a grocery store, shopping, walking down the street, and I wonder if that person just needs a hello or a how are you doing, and some days I reach out to them and other days I'm afraid. Oh, what will they think of me? Fear can immobilize us from doing the courageous and creative work of being stewards of what God has given us. Has there ever been a time in your life where you felt God moving you in a certain way, but you felt afraid to invest yourself, your time, your resources, or your talents into something? Lucky for us, we're not alone if you ever feel afraid. Fear is not a scarce commodity in the Bible. Humans who are called by God to courageous work seem to encounter fear at every corner. Do you remember Moses, Jeremiah? Both were afraid and hesitant when God called them to be leaders and prophets. Both of them were so scared that they asked God to please send someone else. God, the all-knowing one, knows that we have the tendency to be fearful people. The command, be not afraid is used 96 times in the Bible. God says the phrase to Abraham, Hagar, Moses, Joseph, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joseph, Mary, Zechariah, and the Apostle Paul. It turns out that God knows that we are pretty fearful people, especially in the face of the work that God calls us to. 
God calls us to hard, courageous work, including the following. Taking up our cross and following Jesus. Loving our neighbor, even when it isn't easy. Living with courageous stewardship. In other words, offering all that we are to God for God's kingdom glory. Fear is normal, but God doesn't want us to be immobilized by fear because God has so much more important work for us to do. God commands us to live with courage as we live as God's servants in the world. Can you imagine how the Bible would be different if any one of the characters I just named would have given in to the immobilization of their fear instead of heeding God's command? Be not afraid. Moses would have never led the Israelites out of the slavery of Egypt. Jeremiah would not have spoken God's words of comfort to his people in a needed time. Mary would not have said yes to carrying the Savior of the world in her womb. And the Apostle Paul would not have traveled to new areas of the world, starting churches and proclaiming the gospel message. God calls us to something greater than fear. Courage that leads to joy. Here's something beautiful. When we live with courage and to how God calls us to live in the world, we experience deep joy. This is what the master promised the first two servants in the parable. Hear again these words from the master. Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. When we live into who God has created us to be, we experience joy. That doesn't mean the absence of fear. God gives us the same command that he gives to Abraham, Moses, Ezekiel, and all the others. Be not afraid. That command always comes with the promise, almost always, and I will be with you. God promises to us, helping us and equipping us as we live in courage to follow Jesus and use our gifts for the kingdom. A woman named Tricia Taylor is a teacher and facilitator in a couple of different discipleship programs called Faith Walking and Churches Learning Change. She teaches about a concept called doing it scared, meaning sometimes God calls us to things that are scary and take courage. And even if you're scared, what might it look like to do that work anyways? Living for the agenda of God's kingdom isn't usually a life that comes without risk. Often, God calls us to things that involve taking risk. I was talking to Tom Wilder about this this week, um, who works in investments and learning about risk from an investment perspective. And I, I think his wisdom goes beyond investments. He said this, Risk and reward go hand in hand. Seeking too much reward can create dangerous amounts of risks. On the other hand, taking no risk leads to no reward. Sometimes living as disciples of Jesus involves taking risks. Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him, to love our neighbor, to care for the poor and the oppressed, to care for the foreigner in our midst. 
What does it look like to live as a disciple of Jesus in a way that lives by doing it scared? What may God be stirring up in your own heart that may require you to live in a way that does it scared? When I think of this question, I think of one of my personal spiritual giants that I look up to in my life, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And it's obvious that one of his, quote, talents that God had given to him was to speak passionately and boldly for equality. But Dr. King's journey was not always easy and not always filled with courage. He describes a moment where he was beset by fear. In the middle of the night, he received a death threat by phone at his home. Shaken, King went into the kitchen, made himself a cup of coffee, and began to pray aloud. Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right, but I must confess, I'm losing my courage. Later, King described what happened next. I could hear an inner voice saying to me, Martin Luther, stand up for truth. Stand up for justice. Stand up for righteousness. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is living intentionally, even in the face of fear. The temptation of the servant with the one talent was to hide. God does not call us to hide in our fear. When we hear the call of God to invest our talents in the world in whatever specific way that God calls you to do that, God expects you to follow with courageous stewardship, and God can work through us immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Living with courageous stewardship doesn't mean that you have to do something crazy like go to seminary and become a pastor unless that is something that God is putting as a call on your life. I think courageous stewardship begins by looking at the resources that God has given you, yes, you personally, and asking God how you might use these resources to further God's work in the world. That's what Jesus says in the parable, after all, that each servant was given an allotment according to their ability. As I think about this, I think of our community here at Linwood and the different ways that people have been gifted by God and the different ways that people have used their talents, resources, and gifts for God's glory, even when it takes courage. I think of Ashley, who learned tech skills in high school theater and now runs our sound system for us almost every Sunday. I think of our deacons and elders who serve in leadership, particularly Linda Lumen, who started this year as her first role as a deacon and stepped into this leadership role. I think of Shannon Comparetta, who leads the fellowship team in thinking through creative ways that we can reach out into our community that hasn't been done before. I think of Shirley Spawn. Yesterday we celebrated her life and mourned her passing. At the service, person after person stood up and shared how Shirley taught them about the love of Jesus and how Shirley's prayers for them changed their lives. I imagine Jesus saying to Shirley, 
Well done, good and faithful one. Enter into the joy of your master. What are the gifts, the resources, the talents that God has given you? How might you use these resources to glorify God? With great generosity comes great responsibility. And when you live into who God has called you to be, you will experience joy. The voice of Jesus saying, well done. Enter into the joy of your master. The parable of Jesus ends with a rather harrowing description of the servant who buries or hides their talent. The master says to the servant, So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will be given an abundance. But for those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's going on here? There are some people who think that this, quote, outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth refers to a place of eternal punishment. And to be honest, I'm not sure that we know that for sure. This phrase is used mostly in Matthew's gospel, and its clearest meaning is that whatever this place is, it is most certainly two things. First, it is a place away from the presence of the master, away from the presence of God. Second, it is a place where people experience some sort of pain, a pain that I think comes from turning away from the joy that is offered to us if we live in courageous stewardship. In other words, when we turn away from abundance, as this third servant did in the parable, we turn away from the presence of God and the joy that God offers to us when we live into our gifts. The invitation in this parable is clear. With great abundance comes great responsibility. We are called to be courageous stewards, and in doing so, we enter into the joy of our master. May God, who gives us this command, do not be afraid. Strengthen us with courage. Enable us to serve. And give us God's peace. Let's pray. God of abundance, you have gifted us with more than we deserve. We ask that you would give us the courage to live as faithful stewards of all that you've given us, the earth and its resources, our bodies, our time, our talents, our possessions. May you use us in whatever way you see fit to further your kingdom glory. And may you work through us immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Amen.